It's Friday. Oh, yes. Hello, everybody. Cheesy, how you doing? Oh, you know I'm doing great. It's Friday. (laughs) It is. Oh, it's... I got so much to share this week. This is a nostalgia-rich episode this week because we're going to talk about the first PCs we ever laid our hands on our very first PC. Might make me feel a little old. To help me along in this journey, Drew and Wes are here, too. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, hey. Happy Friday, guys. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. This might be a quick one because I got to rush out of here. Not only, not only is today like a special day in general, but I have finally been talked into going to the doctor about just horrible, horrible sleep habits of mine. So I'm rushing out here to go see like this special sleep doctor that made emergency time available for me. Like I feel like I feel like big time right now. But also, it's uh, the last day of school for my kids. So we're going to like try to take them out and go do something fun and all that kind of stuff. Man, do you remember like, speaking of nostalgia, do you remember how awesome the last day of school was? Oh, dude, it was so good. Like the teachers are all chill, right? The teachers are all chill. All the kids are happy. Everybody on the bus is happy. The bus driver's happy. The school district employees are happy. You, you, you get out like kind of like around your lunchtime. It's just the best. Oh, dude. I, yeah, it was the greatest. And then like those for that first week when you're, uh, at least for me anyway, it was like in the neighborhood with the neighborhood kids riding your bike around, you know, wandering off in the woods, building forts and stuff all summer. Good memories. Yeah. Very good memories. Very, oh, it's, it's my best memories of school are the last day of school. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> I don't know what that's about. I came on the show um, a couple of weeks ago now almost, and I was like, hey, I'm back from Texas. I think I'm okay, but I think I might have got a chest cold. I feel a little sick. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyways, moving on. Um, it's already starting to feel like the whole appendix rupture situation all over again. So I'm, what is that? That was like 14 days ago or something. So it's, that's how long ago it was. And uh, it's gotten significantly worse. My chest pain now has been sort of localized under my right man boob, above my man gut, but under my man boob. So in that region. And um, heart doesn't begin to describe like when I cough or when I sneeze. I had a little bit of allergies today and I was sneezing and it hurts so bad. And I didn't realize this would be a thing. I guess I have a little, uh, a little uh, built in response now, but it started hurting so bad that I instinctively reached for my gut. Because when after I got surgery, every now and then something would happen to kind of rip my gut back open. It's pretty gross. And I would grab it out of pain, you know, oh, and I grab my gut and try to smash it back together. I did that instinctively when I started coughing or sneezing earlier today because my chest was hurting so bad. I'm a little, I, it doesn't hurt to breathe, but other than the muscles around that area of my chest hurt so much that if I breathe a lot, it hurts. So I, don't, I don't know what's going on with me. Well, you should definitely, you should definitely keep breathing. Yeah. What I, I'm going to, I'm going to breathe a lot. I'm going to smoke a lot to try to like, you know. Uh, you know, apply heat to the area. I feel like that'll help. You might want to eliminate the smoking there for a bit, you know? No, no, because I want I want a heat treatment, you know, because I think it's inflammation. I think the muscles are inflamed. That's what I think happened. You need to put some ointment on it. He's going to prescribe you some ointment. Well, actually, I just thought if I got some crystals and I talked to the Dr. Reverend, then, you know. She knows what's best for you. I mean, she would just tape them on the sore spot, right? I think so. And you know what? If it worked, I'd be all for it. Um, I haven't had a chance to call her back yet. I've been a little busy. We're out of here next week. Uh, next week, we're going down for a big old company get-together at Linux Academy. And uh, so we've been trying to get a whole bunch of stuff done in preparation for that. So there won't be a Friday stream next week. 
I'm going to try to say that a few times this episode because I always feel so bad when people show up because we're trying to get a real live, you know, community thing going here and then we like no show. So I really want to get the word out there. I feel super guilty on the days we're not live. It's it's a big source of guilt. So if I just say a, like five times in the show that we're not going to be live next Friday on uh, June 28th, 2019, I feel like I've done everything I can do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty much impossible to, to make anything happen next Friday. I mean, we're going to be you know, in the, in our company get together and it's taking place on Friday as well. So it's going to be like a mid-year hype fest. We're going to get like the update on stuff because the company's growing like crazy. The coolest thing about it is, is like genuinely, I enjoy a lot of the people that work at Linux Academy because they're all a bunch of geeks, you know, a bunch of Linux geeks and stuff. Totally. It's like a mini, a mini Linux conference when we get together. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so we won't be here next week at the end of the week, but we're going to start out with something that's pretty, pretty cool. We have worked over the years on really trying to get our audio to sound pretty good. And part of that is the physical space that you're in. You know, you've got you've to make the sound less reflective. You've got to do things to try to make the physical space you're in work. Because garbage in, garbage out. You've got to start with good audio. But how do you really do that? Like, what works versus what, what is just hype crap that's going to cost you a ton of money on Amazon? Well, one man is here to answer these questions for us. The man with the plan, it is Mr. Drew. That's me. Hello, Drew. Hi. So you came to me with an idea of kind of working on not only two, two problems, really, kind of working on your audio, but also documenting this process and coming up with a exact parts list that people could replicate at home for a reasonable price. Um, so I don't know where to start with this. I kind of want to start at the end. Like, grand total, do you know how much we've spent on this new recording setup of yours? Um, yeah, it's under 400 bucks. Yeah. This is a project that Drew started to really kind of make uh, any kind of space you can get your hands on a usable space. So what was the space like before you started this process? Then we'll talk about what you did. Yeah, so I have high ceilings. And very reflective walls, not a lot of, you know, soft things on the walls. And the rooms are like normal rooms. They're just, you know, boxes with doors. So combine the high ceilings with, you know, reflective walls, and it's just kind of terrible. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, it's very reflective. Like like light reflects off of shiny objects. Sound reflects off of flat reflective objects exactly right so what did you kind of come up with drew and and what is the overall strategy you, you kind of came up with um a plan that works in almost any room really yeah so essentially the way i wanted to do it was somewhat modular so that if you weren't recording for a while or you know say you were using a guest room like i am you could kind of collapse it or at least move it out of the way so that you can you know bring your guests in, like say your in-laws are in town, you can not have them you know, sectioned off with part of the room just completely inaccessible because you've built this gigantic structure that can't be moved. You could also use this in an office building, like in maybe in a conference room, if you had a, if you were a business that wanted to launch your own podcast, you could take over a, a room and set this up and you could get decent sound out of one of these office rooms. Yeah, 100%. So, what I ended up doing was, you know, it all hinges on using this room partition that I purchased along with, well, I say I purchased, Linux Academy purchased it to be on the level there, but took that and attached a bunch of acoustic foam to that partition. And then I also attached acoustic foam to the walls behind the desk where I'm sitting. So 
this partition wraps around the corner that I'm sitting in and forms a shell. Now, because of the high ceilings, I also need something over top of me so that things aren't bouncing up and back down, which creates a lot of reverb. Eventually, I'm going to take a piece of, uh, you know, MDF or some other piece of wood to create a full cover with more acoustic foam on top. But for right now, I've got a comforter that's tacked to the wall and draped over that partition. So it's astoundingly simple, but the results are phenomenal. I like the partition you picked because it's pretty flexible, but it's not unreasonably priced. It seems like it's decent build quality as, as well. Yeah, I did break one of the hinges. Um, and that was just from, you know, having foam in there and then trying to collapse it down a little bit. The hinge just stripped right out. Taking that out of your paycheck, Drew. Unbelievable. Hey, I fixed it with zip ties. Oh, well, then problem solved. <laughs> so it's not perfect, but for the price, it's pretty damn good. And you're, you know, a sound guy. What do you think? Why are you, are you pretty happy with the results? So far, yes. Now, I do need to actually sit down and take some SPL measurements to see exactly how much it lowers the ambient volume. But to be honest, lowering the ambient volume isn't really the scope of what we're trying to do here because this acoustic foam is not soundproofing. And, you know, that I just want to make that very, very clear. It's not soundproofing. Um it is something that shapes sound and deadens sound. So while it's not going to keep every sound in the house out, it is going to help to make the sound that's in the environment that you're recording in much, much better. Right. And the sound that's around the microphone, to say it another way, you know, the sound that's close to the microphone will sound better. If there is a siren outside and you're near a window, it's not going to, it's not going to take care of that. Um, you know, what we got to do is we got to get a, we got to get a parts list and all that kind of stuff uh, up on the show, show notes. Or I know you want to put a whole like instruction guide too, or something together on GitHub for people. But so maybe a parts list or something for the show notes would be good because uh, I really encourage the community to look into this as well. Because if you've got decent sound and you start coming on our shows, be it the Friday stream or Linux Unplugged, and you start participating, that's pretty much all it takes to be involved. Like we'll start working with you more and more. Uh, so Drew's guide is a is a great way to get there or or even just get good sound for your own podcast or your own production you're trying to do. So you're pretty happy for four four hundred ish bucks. I'm very happy for the amount that's been spent on it so far. Um, the cover shouldn't be much more. Uh, you know, MDF is cheap, and another hinge to attach it to the wall and call it a day. Uh, you know, I honestly I'm surprised at the quality of this given how inexpensive it was. I have had some crazy, crazy recording setups over the years. <laughs> oh man, I, I wish I could have uh, like done videos of all of them because there were some pretty hacky ones. Because you really, it's all about just killing the sound. If it's carpet or if it's drapes or whatever, uh, the foam. The foam is kind of nice because you can you can install it in very specific areas and it's got that nice consistency. You can cut it. You can order it on Amazon. Right. <laughs> That's nice, too. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'd be kind of curious to know what you do with this in the future. So if you do any kind of big modifications to this or you evolve it, uh, keep us posted and we'll update people. Absolutely. I do have some plans. I got to figure out some way to get, you know, cold air into this thing. Um, 
because it is quite warm right now. Oh, yeah. That's another day, I think. Good old sweat box. It is always so hot because you do all this stuff to kill sound and it makes it warm. And, of course, the air conditioner, both the sound of the blowing of the air, but also the compressor running are just horrible on recording. <laughs> so it just gets so hot. So, Drew, while well, I got you, um, are you familiar with the term Amazon Flex? No. Is that a new Amazon product? It kind of is. It's a new Amazon initiative that's rolling out in certain areas like San Francisco and Seattle, and they're about to expand it uh, bigly, as our president would say. And I thought now would be a great time to kind of introduce everybody to Amazon Flex because you'll notice regular old people in just street clothes are walking up to your porch carrying boxes, and it's part of Amazon's initiative to essentially Uber delivery. Amazon Flex is available in about 50 U.S. cities. Anyone over 21 with a driver's license, auto insurance, and at least a mid-sized sedan can sign up. After clearing a basic background check, drivers in areas with open spots can start picking up and delivering packages. Amazon wouldn't disclose how many drivers have signed up or what percentage of its last-mile deliveries are made by Flex drivers compared to its shipping partners. But it did tell us the program is expanding. We build out these small businesses of the delivery service providers, and we have Flex, which is our on-demand crowdsource delivery piece. So we need all of that to meet the various types of delivery we do in each of our geographies, and I think you're going to see expansion on all fronts there. Flex is part of an overall broader strategy, including their own trucks, their own shipping vans, um, drones. It's really all in a response to increasing costs from UPS, FedEx, and the post. Postal service here in the States. In the last quarter of 2018, Amazon's shipping costs jumped 23%, reaching a record $9 billion. Until an item arrives at a warehouse near your home, it can be shipped in bulk. But then each package needs to be hand-delivered to a different address, which takes a lot of people and a lot of time. Amazon pays to outsource much of this to carriers like UPS and the U.S. Postal Service, which charge a fee. And those fees just went up. In January, the post office increased its last-mile shipping rate by 9 to 12 percent, depending on package size. Ouch! The less Amazon can rely on these shipping giants, the more it can control these costs. It's building up its own logistics network, delivering 26 percent of its own packages last year. For last-mile delivery, Amazon has small business partners, some delivering out of 20,000 Amazon vans. And in 2015, it launched Amazon Flex. So Flex is this newer sort of slow roll that they've done because it's very complicated. You take average people, you have to have a sedan, and you have to pass a moderate background check, and you are essentially an on-call driver for Amazon. You show up at their warehouse, you load up your sedan or your small truck with packages that you just cram in your vehicle, because it's not like their vehicles are built for this, and then you head off into what should be a three-hour radius, but of course, in areas like California and Seattle, it's horrible traffic. Flex drivers are paid an hourly rate with a set time to complete deliveries within, so many feel pressured not to stop. Do you feel like you have time to take breaks? Do you feel like you can no. find a restroom? No. No, absolutely not. So like, I try to go before my shift and then just hope that I don't have to go during it. Some drivers, like Elbert, asked us for varying degrees of anonymity because they want to protect their privacy or their ability to keep working with Amazon. You definitely feel panicked a little bit. You're already an hour in. Because like, they'll send you someplace and they'll be tra- I'm in L.A. There's traffic all the time. I have to deliver like 20-some packages each hour just to finish within my block. So, you know, you feel anxious and stressed. 
this isn't going away either. This is just going to spread. Amazon is motivated to do this because they want to get prime shipping down to one day. They're in a competition with Walmart here in the States to get prime shipping down to one day. The post office, UPS and FedEx, they're raising their prices. And the gig economy seems to be booming like never before. So, like, this is obviously a direction Amazon is going to continue to go. I don't know quite how I feel about it because, and you can get the full video linked in our show notes. It's from CNBC. When you look at these cars, they're just people's gross, dirty cars that are just slammed full of my packages and other people's packages in the trunk. And then they show up at somebody's house and they're digging through the trunk like a raccoon digging through all the different boxes, looking to see if they got the right box. You know, they're not wearing brown shorts or coming up in a white and blue vehicle. You know what I mean? Cheese, you know, you know what I'm coming at you? Like it's, it's, it feels dirty. No, I'm still stuck in the, I've got the, the trash panda mental image thing going on right now with the, the packages in the trunk. Yeah. You know, I don't know how, how I feel about that, man. Is it really that important that you get your package in one day? Kinda. Yeah. <sighs> to me, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, two days is fine. Two days is fine for me. Yeah, it's all right. But like, if I'm really passionate about something and I'm in a groove and like, you know, call me a manic or whatever, but like, if I'm super excited about eGPUs, if I get it in one day, I'm more likely to slam it into my system and start working on it than if I get it in a week from now. Well, and, and Amazon expects you to click the buy it now button if it's, you know, one day on those sorts of things. And I get it too, right? Like, whenever I was building this system, the only thing I needed was uh, uh, an, an M.2 NVMe drive. I could have got one on Amazon, got it a little cheaper, waited for it to ship, you know, but no, I just went to Best Buy and just bought one, right? So, uh, I get it, but it is weird having just some rando show up on your doorstep with packages. Yes. So, I want to ask Drew about that because this isn't rolled out yet to Drew's neck of the woods. It will be in the future. How are you going to feel, Drew, when some rando just comes walking up to your door holding a box? You know... I do live like two doors down from a Jehovah's Witness church. So getting random people knocking on my door isn't that unheard of. <laughs> Honestly, if somebody were to come up and actually, you know, knock on the door, ring the doorbell when they drop off a package, that's better than people walking up, not ringing the doorbell and taking my packages by a lot. Hmm. Yes. Yes. All right. I want to get Wes Payne's take here in a second because, of course, uh, he's a man about town downtown. But first, there is legitimately the issue that people do not know who the hell these people are. For several drivers we spoke to, safety is the biggest concern. Montez and other drivers told us they've been assigned large loads of packages that barely fit in their cars. Whenever you do make them fit, it's piled so high that it reaches the roof of your car and you can't see your back the back mirrors, you know, you just see boxes. So it's not safe, definitely. In a statement, Amazon says, safety is our number one priority. We communicate with delivery partners regarding safety topics, including safe loading practices. Another issue, Amazon does not provide flex drivers with any branded clothing to identify them. Rapper Ice-T tweeted about this last month, saying he almost shot a regular person making an Amazon delivery. And Amazon tweeted back that they'd escalate this to our logistics team for review. Jonathan in Connecticut told us about a similar experience while delivering. I'm pulling up to this house. I get to the front door and, you know, this guy just comes running out like, hey, what are you doing? And he's talking so fast and it, and he's just like, 
you know, so he was just talking so fast and he wouldn't let me talk. So I, I kind of, I had to yell and say, I'm with Amazon and I'm just delivering your package. And I was thinking, you know, I'm in Connecticut, you know, I'm a Puerto Rican guy in, in, in a white guy's yard. And like, you know, what about he comes out, just shoots me in the face with ice and questions. You know, that was my fear. His solution was to go onto Etsy and buy a custom made Amazon Flex shirt that's branded. No way. Really? Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> So, Wes, you probably, I mean, like me, I'm getting I'm getting food door dashed all the time these days. Downtown, it's just sort of a way of life. You got Ubers, you got you got lifts, uh, you got food delivery. Are you weirded out at all by uh, by now packages being in the gig economy? You know, it's funny. I hadn't I hadn't considered the sort of um, private residence aspect because, yeah, I'd say at this point, probably most of my Amazon packages, which admittedly these days is not that many. But the ones I do order, they're almost all delivered by Amazon Flex people. It's just it's just kind of standard now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get used to it. And it does mean, I mean, it does give them flexibility, and it does mean I, I get things a little bit faster, although I then have to sort of, it, it's been a little bit difficult at times, especially as they first rolled it out, because it's a different sort of escalation path about how you, you know, where did, where did my package go? Or they'll show up at very strange times that FedEx or UPS wouldn't deliver at. Yes, that has been the weird part for me, too. Um, it's not to get, like, really deep on this, but it is something that crosses my mind. If we go into a world, say, 5, 10, 20 years from now, where you have these tech companies that are literally the size of nations, and so the world kind of consolidates around them, I would imagine the gig economy would become more and more prevalent. Like this, along with Uber and DoorDash and all the other ones are just the beginning, I have a feeling. And if you think about it from a flex driver's perspective, nothing prevents you from also using Lyft and Uber. And nothing says that uh, if you're in the right market, flex isn't a better deal because you don't have to worry about ratings. <laughs> you don't have to worry about people. <laughs> you just have to deal with Amazon. Um, if you're in a busy neighborhood where traffic's really bad, it sounds like it's pretty stressful. But if you see regular old folks walking up from their sedans and dropping off packages on your porch, that's Amazon Flex. And they're expanding out from the typical uh, centers on the West Coast to the rest of the nation. And um, along with their drone programs, coming in now, just under the wire, it's Mr. Brent. Hello, Brent. Where in the world are you right now? Where's, uh, where is Brent? We need like a jingle. I'm going to do something. Maybe somebody will make us a jingle. Hold on, Brent. Hold on one second. I'm going to make a jingle here. They'll use our lyrics. Where in the world is Brent? Now somebody just take that and remix that for us and we'll make that a soundboard clip. I think the Carmen San Diego version is a little bit uh, more kitschy, but uh, we can work on it. We can work on it. It is. Well, I, tr I was riffing. I was riffing. Yeah. I guess maybe somebody else could do a better job. <laughs> it's the beginnings of something wonderful, I'm sure. So, where? Okay, so um, I am maybe like three hours east of Toronto. So like, um, what would you call that? So southeastern Ontario? Wes, can you tell what I'm already loving about the explanation of where he's at right now? <laughs> can you tell what, can you guess what I love about this, Wes? It's the continued adventures of Brent. I love all of it. I know. If you asked me where I'm at right now, I'd say... 
It would be a one-word answer to be, I'm in the studio, or I'm in Seattle. <laughs> like, if I ask, where's Wes? He'd say, I'm in Seattle, or I'm in Olympia, if he's seen his family. or Yeah, the, the name of the, the, loudest, the largest town nearby, right? Yeah, right. But when you say Brent, Brent's like, well, if okay, now, take 15 paces north of this landmark. <laughs> yeah, just give me a one-word answer. <laughs> the, so, I, um, so I do know the name of the largest. I don't think it's considered a town. I think it's a hamlet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which is about, uh, I think it's like two kilometers east of where my exact position is right now. Um, it's called Centerton, Ontario. And it's not the center of anything. It's like three houses on a corner. Um, that's about where I am. And I'm not actually quite sure where I am yet. I'm still getting my, my uh, bearings around here. Are you rubbing two sticks together to get internet right now? Like, how's that working? I'm in this old stone building on a farm, and I'm on the second floor, which is roasting. So maybe similar weather to what you have in the studio. Um, and I get really good cell signal, so I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. Well, I'm glad you're here because we're about to get into our first computers. We're going to tell the story of our very, very first PCs. And I thought uh, to, set the, to set the tone... I thought maybe I'd play a few clips from from my my uh, what I'm calling my coming awake era in computers. I was aware of computers. I was using computers in the 80s, but then they were really just a means to play video games or break my dad's computer. But there was a moment in PC history that I really think I transitioned from a average consumer to an enthusiast. And ironically, it wasn't even for a platform I was using, but it was for the Pentium PC. And I, I got I to take you back in time right now to the good old days of 1993 when Intel had just significantly ramped up production of what was called the new Pentium processor while most of us were using the 486. In the random access file this week, Intel has announced the first round of price cuts on the Pentium processor. The company says prices will be cut up to 18% in the second quarter of 94. Intel says quick adoption of the Pentium processor by more than 100 manufacturers has led to the quickest ramp up in Intel history and the ability to move into high volume, lower cost production. Intel predicts that Pentium machines will account for 15% of the PC market in 1994. The company also announced a 15% price cut on 480. Chips. Yeah, get them while they're hot. Actually, they weren't very hot, as a matter of fact. And Intel, they saw the entire world ahead of them. Nothing but games. Multimedia users and application developers hungry for more power are natural market niches for the Pentium, in addition to single and multiprocessor servers. That customer base will expand as Intel continues to develop new versions of the Pentium. Over time, we expect to be able to move the Pentium processor into the entire range of personal computing, and for that matter, all of computing, mainframes, uh, handheld machines, you name it. And to do that, we'll have to do specialized versions of the Pentium chip. So there'll be versions that are very, very low power aimed at portables. There'll be versions that are very powerful aimed at uh, servers. And there'll be a variety of different uh, Pentium processors right at the mainstream aimed at the personal computer market. It sort of sounds obvious now. But I want you to understand, the, the first computers that I had my hands on, they didn't need CPU fans. They didn't even need heat sinks. You would open up the case, and the CPU would look like just one of the chips on the motherboard. There was nothing really kind of unique about it. When Intel came around, they productized the CPU, and then they pushed it in a way we hadn't really seen. And early days, it was a bit rough. There were heat issues, and we thought it was quaint, and we thought it was funny that you would have to put a heatsink, let alone a fan, on a CPU. 
PC Week Labs has run extensive tests on all of the existing Pentium-based hardware. They discovered that heat generation was a problem during beta testing, but since the addition of cooling fans, lab director Jim Lauterbach says all the systems are performing quite well. They've got cooling fins on them, kind of like a Cadillac, uh, three or four different fans. There's one machine, the HP back here, actually has the cooling fins, and then it has a fan sitting on top of the cooling fins, a tiny little fan. <laughs> oh, a tiny little fan on top of cooling fins. Isn't that a quite an adorable setup? My my first computer that I really really got my hands on was an IBM PS2 at school. I was looking on eBay today. Uh, you can pick one up for 150 bucks, which I was actually kind of tempted to. Because the old IBM PS2, it had this, it had this incredible um, sound to it. I actually, I'm, I'm such a nerd. I thought we could all just sit back for a moment and relive history. I found the sound that the IBM PS2 makes when it boots up. It's beautiful. Listen to that disc. Those fans. So robust. What you're hearing, that grinding noise, is the hard drive. And when you turn it off, you can actually hear the hard drive wind down. Was that the sound of, like, the, the actual head on the drive locking at the end? Like, it clicked? Yeah, and then, and then, and then you, you could hear the, the spin down. You know, the computers had that visceral sound about them back then. You knew what they were doing. Um, those computers were my first computers, but they weren't my first PC. They weren't my first computer. Uh, I'll tell my story, but I want to hear cheesies. I want to know about your first PC. Uh, my first machine was a Compact Presario 486. Oh, yep. Passarios. It was it was it was a great little machine, man. I mean, it did the job for the time. I remember uh, upgrading it, throwing a, a CD-ROM into it. Windows three one, I imagine. Yeah, it started with Windows three one and then moved to ninety five. Oh, ninety five on the forty six was a dog. Uh, and then moved to breaking it by trying to install OS two back in the day because uh, I I snagged a copy of that from a magazine I found somewhere. Um, and then, and then quickly learned how to reload those machines. Uh, I tried to, what was it? I think I tried to upgrade the modem at one point from like a, I think it's, it was a 14.4 in it. And I upgraded to, or maybe it was a 9600 that was in it. And then I upgraded to uh, 28.8. Sure. And the ISA card uh, it had like a riser on it, right? And so the way that the inside, like whenever you pulled open the top, had a riser card that came out. There was no heat sink on the CPU. Um, and then the other, then the ISA card would attach, uh, in the other direction, like, uh, parallel to the actual motherboard. And so whenever I got this other card, well, it was, it was too long and uh, there was all sorts of issues. So I pulled the riser card out, put this other card in. And of course, couldn't get it to boot because it had to have that riser card in and then, you know, moved along. And that was that was the first machine uh, that was basically mine to use. But but it wasn't my first machine that I built, which um, I don't I don't know if that maybe that's another story. Hold on. I want to hear that. Yeah, let's do that story. 
let's do that story because that yeah that's a different story for me too um you know you you were talking about the modems there for a second i feel like and i don't really know what i base this on but i feel like the 14.4 and the 28.8 were the best modem genres like the best like that those range of modems were the best oh yeah um and those modems are so cool they would have like lights on the front and of course they have the built-in speakers but speaking of modems I, I believe what really taught me to appreciate long-term vendor firmware support was the switch to the V.92 standard. So the 56K modems that like some vendors like US Robotics made back in the day, and of course uh, I think mm, back in the day, I don't remember exactly when the date would have been, uh, maybe 99, I think. I think it was 1999. You had these modems you could buy you from US Robotics and other, and other resellers that came with a certain standard and they promised on the box that they would upgrade it to the new v.92 standard allowing not only 56k download and 48 kilobit upload rates big big talk there but with v.92 pcm was used in both the upstream and the downstream connections and that made room for an extra data signal from the carrier along with improved speeds and that extra data signal made accommodations for call waiting and things like that so it wouldn't ruin your internet connection and i i bought a modem that didn't get the update and i bought a modem that did get the update and that was a strong lesson about buy for future updates and compatibility wes i'm curious was your first pc one that was given to you was it one that was built and do you remember kind of generally what the genre of machine it was yeah um are we talking about like first pc i had or first pc i used or both you know i'd kind of be curious to know both if it was like the house computer or something or was it like yeah my ps2 wasn't my computer it was the house computer right but it you know it was one i used uh, so I had to look this up, and at my first introduction, I'm, I'm young enough, I have, you know, computers in school, but they were all Mac. So I think it was the 128K Mac, is either that or the Macintosh Plush. I, plus, oh, man. I think I used both of those, like playing some Crystal Quest on there in black and white. Oh, so good. I didn't know this about you. Welcome, welcome. That was my That was my first true, like, computer I had in my room was the was the Mac Plus. Um, that was a hell of a machine, Wes. That was a hell of a machine with the black and white screen, the all-in-one. Did you do the thing where you'd have, like, certain startup discs to play, like, Crystal Quest? Like, you dedicated an entire floppy disk to the OS and that game? Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, there was... But there were only a, enough, you know, not enough to go around. So you kind of had to share them with the various classmates and other people who were fighting for the various games. I mean, one disc was like, oh, yeah, learn how to type. And all the other ones were the fun games. But I did, I did have another, I mean, so I had Macs, the secret Mac background at school, but uh, can I, can I play a little sound sample and see if anyone recognizes it? Okay, I'm ready. All right, did you get that? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Dude, that little jingle, it's the end bit of it. It's so good, right? So... So that is the DOS paratrooper game. And while I had Max at school, my mom was working on a master's degree and had an old IBM PC clone running DOS. See, that's funny. My uh, my folks, uh, my mom were separated. My mom was graphic arts, so she had a Mac, and my dad had the PC. So <laughs> I got And the schools had a mix too. That's so funny. Um, you know, the uh, Macintosh Plus and SE had some really good games. I don't want to gloss over that. Uh, I looked back at those recently, and uh, there were some games that are 
pretty legit. I'm watching a trailer of Mac games right now. Uh, like Tetris, there was the, uh, of course, Crystal Quest. There was also that shuffleboard game where you go to an old bar. I, I loved the Mac Plus because I had a really tricked out one. I got one with an external 20 megabyte hard drive that connected over SCSI. What? Mm-hmm. And I also, I, I know this is really nerdy, but I captured the sound of those old systems as well. I just love it. You can hear the disc. That's how you knew it was working. Making popcorn. That grind is so good. You really just don't, it feels like it. Your computer's doing something. You know it's doing something. Then you can you pop a disc in. And now listen to the sound of the floppy disk. Tell me if that doesn't bring back memories. Wait for it. Right there. Wait for it. Right. Wow, dude. It was the data was transferring at the speed of the sound. Like that's as fast as the computer could go. That brings back memories. I know. It's really crazy. Young people in the audience listening right now probably have no idea what we're talking about, but you would you would dedicate a it, may, it might only be an 800 kilobyte. I'm not even joking. 800 kilobytes would contain the entire operating system for the Mac Plus, including the GUI and the game. And then if you were like a baller and you had a newer floppy disk drive, you could get 1.4 megabytes on those sons of guns. But 800K was what the originally you got on those those first hard floppy disks, the ones that were still called floppy disks, but they were they had like the little retractable silver cover, and that's what you were hearing there in that soundbite. And 800K would fit the entire graphical system six environment and a game. <laughs> and it's just and as a, as a kid to be able to just like initialize is what they called it. You would initialize the disk and then just copy the system folder over, copy the game folder over reboot and play it was a totally different era so i um my my first experience on a computer and i'm i'm bringing this up sort of maybe out of turn simply because of the floppy thing um so my first experience on a computer was the commodore 64 Mm. which i'm actually younger than most of you um but that was sort of our first household computer and uh so i very keenly remember the five and a half inch floppies where um you're playing a game and all of a sudden the game, you know, it's a text adventure game, um, like King's quest or something. And you have to pause the game or actually the game pauses you and asks you to put in another, you know, a different five and a half inch floppy out of the, you know, insert disc six of nine yep. to continue playing, you know, depending on which adventure, uh, you chose from. And, uh, they don't really do that anymore these days, I guess. No, it mostly will do live patching. Technically, the first computer ever in my room was a Trash 80, um, hooked up to a television screen, which uh, was a monster of a machine that uh, it came with. <laughs> you're not going to believe this. Uh, I think mine came because it was upgraded with a whopping 48 kilobytes of RAM, <laughs> and the processor ran at 1.7 megahertz. <laughs> That was technically my very first machine. So when I upgraded to a Mac Plus, which was introduced in 1986, and it had one megabyte of RAM, and the 800 kilobyte floppy disk, and a SCSI port, and a built-in speaker, it was a game changer for me. And then when I got to move up to like bigger computers, like 16 megs of RAM, it was pretty nice. But there was a defining moment for me when I built my first PC. 
And I know cheesy, you were just about to mention your first PC that you built. That's like your, that's the first one. Like, like that's really your computer, the one you built. So my first machine, it was a beige box, <laughs> uh, AGP two X. That was going to be it, man. AGP was going to be the graphic standard. It was like the NVIDIA, the TNT2, I think is what it was, was the card. Um, a Biostar motherboard, AMD K6. I want to say I had 512 megs of RAM. Whoa, no way. Yeah, you could. Well, because I was at the time I was going to the Art Institute and so I was doing some video stuff and I had some video capture stuff going. I'm a little jelly because my first K6 system, my first system was also an AMD K6. You got to remember back then, it's sort of like what's happening right now. AMD was just kicking Intel's ass again and for the first time. And the K6 came out and people like you and I were switching over to it like mad. My system had 64 megabytes of RAM, if I recall. What did you do? You remember what your systems around that time had? I think it was either 32 or 64. I can't remember. That was, you know, ages ago. That was megabytes let's be clear yeah yeah oh absolutely yeah i remember i remember when i got my first graphics card this was not my first like home-built computer but like graphics card came out and yeah open gl with quake was mind-blowing oh yeah yeah and tomb raider i played tomb raider for the first time when i got a matrox video card and that was mind-blowing <laughs> jazz disc <laughs> zip disc yeah, zips. I Omega zip disk. I never had the click of death myself. Never had it. Oh, I had it. Yeah, I think it was more prone in the parallel ones. You PC users. I, I eventually ended up with more parallel Omega drives than SCSI ones, but um, my mom was the one that was buying them for to back up her computers. So the ones I had like the most hands-on were, were hers. Wes, I'm curious, like, what was your, around this era, you know, you're becoming like a, a follower of the industry, I would assume. Have you, when did you first build the PC, a PC, or have you built a PC? Have I built a PC? I mean, come on. That's true. And there's nothing wrong with not having done so, but no. I'm old enough now that, it, I mean, there was a time, and I, th I don't know if that's, I don't think it's true anymore, that that was a rite of passage, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my first, the first like real um, after DOS era sort of experimental PC, the thing I, you know, broke a lot of Windows bootloaders on, that was a early Dell beige box running Windows ME, that treasure of an operating system. Oh, man. I remember being so excited that the ME was finally going to take care of the things that bugged me about Windows, and it was such a pile. It was the last, it was the worst and last of the old, like, N98 generation before, you know, you actually got a decent NT kernel for the home user. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this the part where I feel old for having built a computer that went and installed windows 3.1 on it no really absolutely not how, how how old roughly were you around that time do you remember uh built my so first of all my my uncle is uh mr pc of austin texas so you know we've got we've got the techies in the family the home builders the people with soldering irons um you know we fixed vcrs by hand um but my uncle helped me build my first computer when i was nine that's awesome coolest uncle ever i'm hoping to do that with my son dylan this summer he's 10 and i'm hoping to to help him build his first pc i'm hoping all ryzen you know do a little virtualization pass through because he's been bugging me about windows 10 games so i've been one of the reasons i've been messing around with the gpu pass through stuff so i'm like dylan check this out check this out i got i got windows and linux on the same computer last night he's like hey dad 
could I could I run the same game in Linux and Windows at the same time and play against myself? <laughs> that sounds a fun idea. Yes, Dylan, yes, yes you could. <laughs> I'm like, he gets it. <laughs> That's awesome. I was happy. Yeah, the computers of today are just so phenomenally more powerful. Messing around with this eGPU stuff and running completely separate operating systems inside a VM. Oh, man. I think about, I think about where things have come from. I do still miss the turbo button. Yeah, the turbo button was really like that was a that was a piece of marketing. Have you watched the history of the turbo button on YouTube? I have not, but it sounds like I need to. Oh, you definitely should look that up. That's a little homework for after the show. Go look that up. Okay, okay. We got to we got to uh, move on though because we have to solve problems. You know, that's a big part of what we do here on the Friday stream is we solve society's problems. Last week we solved the deep fake problem. Um, week before that, we solved uh, a problem for the world, and uh, this week we're going to solve the horn problem. So you may have heard of this story that uh, your children are growing horns, according to research. I mean, it was covered everywhere on the news. Now, many people spend hours scrolling through their smartphones every day, but a new study shows it may be changing your bodies. A study of 1,200 people conducted by researchers at the University of the Sunshine Coast found 41% of participants aged between 18 and 30 had developed a bony lump on the back of their skull. You guys hear about this story? Have you heard this? You know, I glanced at the headline. Yeah, Washington Post. And yeah, and then I think immediately... It wasn't even 30 seconds later, Joe was like, bullshit, or I call bullshit. And I was just, I was like, exactly. I agree 100%. Bullshit. All right. So let's see. Is this bullshit? So uh, here's what's going on is the researchers suspect it's from looking down at our phones all the time. We suspect that the reason for this bone spur formation is because they carry their head forward, but not just carrying their head forward. They carry their head forward for a long period of time. And it's developing a, a horn, or as the researchers call it, um, a bone spur, but that's not very exciting. So this horn is developing, and the problem is it's, it's worse than you might possibly conceive because you have to think of the children. My God, someone think of the children Thankfully, Fox News has. They're going to be transmitted to the next generation by something called epigenetics. So if you got one, your kid's going to get one. And it really shows what we're doing to ourselves. We're transforming. We're transforming, guys. You see, what happens is you're looking down. And as you're looking down, you are taking away the muscle mass in the back of your neck. And when the body loses muscle mass, it responds by creating bone mass. And so it's creating bone mass. The thing is, there's just one little problem about all of this. The research paper itself never actually cites cell phones or even references technology. It cites a, um, a series of lifestyle conditions. In fact, when you ask the researcher spokesperson um, how they know it's because of cell phones, his answer is um, it's, uh, it's not strong. Is there any other explanation for why young people are getting these bone spurs? It's, um, it's hard to actually think of others because uh, you got to go back uh, and ask yourself what happened over the last 10 years? Uh, what changed over the last 10 years to bring about this type of phenomenon? So you see the problem here is uh, the researcher got this data and he went, you know, I can't think of what else has changed in the last 10 years except for cell phones. So therefore, 
clearly cell phones. And uh, that is what is called half-hazard science right there. <laughs> That's not really how science works. That's total bullshit. Come on. I mean, why wouldn't this happen to bookworms or anybody who focuses on work that's below their line of sight? Yeah, it's pretty it's that's pretty rich. That's a great point is anybody. In fact, anybody who watches a lot of TV looking down, um, really only a few reporters that did this cover this entire story, it seems, were even bothered to read their research paper, which we'll have we'll have linked in the show notes. Um, this this entire thing is reminiscent of hysteria that happened a couple of years ago around a phenomenon called smartphone pinky. So this is they're calling this smartphone neck or something like that. This is called there was a thing just a couple of years ago called smartphone pinky, um, which proclaimed that people's fingers were being deformed by the way they held their electronic gadgets and smartphones, and it was making our fingers bent. The fun thing about this one, they 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 came up with a clever get out of jail free card. In that, um, they can they can get they have they have this brilliant argument that uh, when somebody calls them on it, they can play. Now, what's most concerning about the findings is the horn-like spurs typically don't present until far later in adulthood. It's fascinating. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, so the spurs don't present until far later in adulthood when it could be any number of hundreds of things in your life that cause them to happen including just not even eating right. Can I just say that I want, I I mean, if I can have an adaptation that makes me more comfortable while I'm browsing my cell phone, which clearly isn't going to stop anytime soon, I'm all for it. Thank you, body. Right? And by the way, if you look at the pictures that we have linked in the show notes, it essentially looks like a goddamn bottle opener. So if you could put a beer back there and <laughs> pop that sucker open, I think win-win. Absolutely. Maybe it's an antenna, you think? <laughs> well, and, and what I'm curious, like how many you know, studies or how many, how many people were in these studies? Actually, I do have the number. It's, I think it, hold on, hold on. It may, it might have been in that, let's see, it might've been in the beginning of that clip. I think I do have the number. A study of 1200 people conducted by researchers. 1200 people. There you go. 1200 people. I like, uh, Brent's got a name for this phenomenon that I think we should go with. Brent, go ahead, lay it out there. All right. So I actually found this in the linked article. And, uh, so there's, um, phone bone, which is, um, I think that would catch on pretty quickly. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. <laughs> I think the title was just born. <laughs> the phone bone. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Oh, so there you go. See, we're solving, we're solving the world's problems. We're solving the world's problems right now. I feel much better. I think I feel like we've accomplished something. I feel like we've accomplished something on the Friday stream. Don't you guys? Don't we always? Yeah, we always do. We're solving society's problem every single episode. Now that we've accomplished something, I think it's time to play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? This week, we're changing it up. Wes is returning after losing last week horribly. He'll be playing for Tommy, who lost last week. And this week, a new challenger enters the arena, Mr. Drew, and he'll be playing for Emacs Nomancer in our chat room. Gentlemen, Wes, you'll start first. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, Wes, you'll start first. Mr. Payne, for $100, when looking at a map, what direction is always north? Left, right, down, or up? Up, final answer. Oh, all right, look at you. Up, final answer, and Mr. Payne? You are correct, sir. Well done. $100, 
If I got that wrong, I mean, you should never let me navigate anywhere. <laughs> uh, you no know, kidding, right? <laughs> Good thing there's Google Maps, though. All right, for $200, <laughs> where do you go to board a plane, a post office, a grocery store, an airport, or an amusement park? Hmm. Well, okay, what, what if it's like a ride that looks like an airplane at an amusement park? That's a tough one. C, airport, final answer. All right, sir. I'm going to go ahead and guess you were correct on that one. Submitting it to the computer now. Yes. Yes, Wes. <laughs> you were correct. All right. We're moving right on now to $300, Wes. You're doing great. Remember, when you get to $1,000, you will lock that in. And that, at least, whatever else happens, you'll be safe at 1000 But right now, you have to get to there. You have, you're two away for $300. Which of the following breakfast cereals is not produced by Kellogg's? Crispex, Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, or Fruit Loops? Ooh, now that's a tough one. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna phone my cheesy. All right, stand by, Wes. We can't absolutely do that. You do have three lifelines, 50-50, phone a cheesy, and ask the chat room. Let's go ahead and bring in Mr. Cheese Bacon. Cheese Bacon. Yes? Which of the following breakfast cereals is not produced by Kellogg's. Crispex, Apple Jacks, Lucky Charms, or Fruit Loops? Mm. Let's say Lucky Charms or Crispex. Crispex is definitely Kellogg's. Lucky Charms because it's so sugary. Like Kellogg's was used to be known to be healthy, right? Like oats and health. Five seconds, Cheesy. So maybe the sugariest one? All right. Let's see then. Mr. Payne... Your college cheesy says Lucky Charms. I mean, who who's going to argue with cheesy? It, cheese bacon is his name. I think he knows breakfast foods. I'm going to go with C, Lucky Charms. All right, here we go. Submitting that into the old computer. Computer, is that your final answer, Wes? Final answer. You are correct. Oh, oh yeah. I was not sure about that one. Okay. Dude, I was sweating it. Here we go for $500. What international radio signal word is used as a distress call? The international radio signal word used as a distress call. Help, Roger, 10-4, Mayday. Despite help making probably the most sense, I'm going to say Mayday, final answer. I think you're probably right. Let's see here. Yes, Mr. Payne. You got it, buddy. All right, now for $1,000, this is the big moment where you will lock it in. What was Peter Pan before it became a book? A play, a song, a movie, or a poem? Remember, you do have two lifelines as well. I'm going to say, oh, this is a tough one. So before it became a book, well, definitely definitely not a movie. I'm going to say, I'm going to say play. I think, I think that makes sense. I'm going to go with play. Final answer. You are correct, sir. Ooh. You have locked in $1,000. Good job, Wes. You now move up to the next echelon, $2,000. That, that was a gamble, but I still got my lifeline, so I guess it paid off. I'm impressed. I wasn't sure what it was either, but that was a good guess. What state's flag has a portrait of George Washington on it? Washington, Montana, Ohio, or Utah? Washington State, final answer. I should know because I have one of these flags in my house. <laughs> yeah, Wes, you got it, buddy. You got it. Yeah, I was like, if he doesn't know that one. <laughs> okay, Wes, now for $4,000, 
What TV show features Ashley Abbott as president of a company called Jabbit? As the world turns, the young and the restless, guiding light, or days of our lives? Oh boy, uh, this is not my area of expertise. I, um, let, let's use the fifty-fifty. All right, computer, please remove one of the oh, two of the wrong answers. You're left now with two choices. The Young and the Restless, or Guiding Light. What TV show features Ashley Abbott as president of a company called Jabbit? The Young and the Restless, or Guiding Light? Of the two, I'm most familiar with The Young and the Restless, so let's say that. Final answer. All right, all right, all right. I agree. I don't know what it would be either, but that seems like right to me. Let's see, computer, is that the correct answer? You are correct! Oh, no way. That's awesome. You got it, Wes! You, wow, you are... Was that two guesses in a row? Yes, it is. That's some luck, Wes. Now, for $8,000, you are now two away from the next echelon, which is 32000 But for 8000 what's the tide that flows out toward the sea called? The tide that flows out towards the sea. The ebb tide, the flood tide, the high tide, or the rip tide? Let's go with ebb tide. Final answer. <sighs> All right, Tommy. I hope this is right. Submitting that into the computer now, Wes. You are correct. You got it, Wes. All right. I was going to feel dumb because I answered that one just without thinking. Now, for $16,000, when was President Kennedy killed? 1961? 1963? 1965 or 1967 for $16,000 if you get past this and the next one you lock in at 32 let's ask the chat room alright going to the chat room I like it chat room please now give your answers 1961 1963 1965 or 1967 you gotta wonder chat room do you know your history we're now going to see. Ch- chat room, you now have 20 seconds to answer Wes's question. What year was President Kennedy killed? 1961, 1963, 1965, or 1967? What year was President Kennedy killed? I'm counting on you, chat room. Okay, Wes. Well, I have some good news. Do you now? The chat room and the simulated chat room. <laughs> oh, there's a simulated the game, one. I didn't even know. Just in case we don't get another Double answers. Double help, yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, they are in agreement. They both agree the answer is B, 1963. Well, let's, let's just let it ride. Final answer. All right, here we go. Submitting 1963. You are correct. Woo. All right, thank you, chat room. You guys really got my back. Good job. It's all the chat room. It's all the chat room. And Tommy, of course. If you get this one right. You've locked in $32,000. That was, of course, the winning mark that Angela walked away with last week when Tommy lost. So if you get this right, this is going to be extremely hard for Drew to beat. What is a group of cults called? Cults. C-O-L-T-S. Cults. Called. A herd, a rag, a brace, or a troop? A herd of cults. A cult. A rag of cults. A brace of cults. Or a troop of cults. Okay, well, hmm, hmm, I don't know about brace, and troop seems a little bit weird. Herd sounds pretty good. 
It does sound pretty good. Rag is weird. It's so weird it could be it, right? It, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say heard. A heard final answer. Wow, I love your confidence. All right, let's see. I mean, who knows, but... God, I really want you to lock this, because you'll you, otherwise you're, you're back to $1,000 if this isn't right. Oh, no! no! Oh, that's crushing. Another oh, defeat. Oh, God! It's a oh, rag? God. That's the answer? It is indeed a rag, Wes. I am so sorry. Dude, you did so good on some of those, though. That's in, that's insane. All right. Well, now I, at least I learned something. Wes, I, I really, really want you to win the next one. <laughs> wow, Wes. Well done, though. Well done. Okay, so Drew. Yes. Thankfully for you, that means you only have to beat $1,000. So if you can lock in 32000 You don't have to be so mean about it. I know. I'm sorry, Wes. I'm sorry, Wes. All right, Drew, are you ready? I am ready. Let's do this. All right, Drew, for $100... What color is normally associated with a hot temperature? Red, blue, green, or yellow? Red, final answer. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Very good, sir. Moving on now. $200, Drew. Here we go. What animal is the symbol for the Playboy magazine? A monkey, an alligator, a bunny, or a warthog? Well, I should know this one. Bunny, final answer. (laughs) <laughs> and that's because he has many of them, not because well, of bunnies, not playboys. Yes, let's submit that in there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. You got $200. All right, now, moving on to $300, you are now two away from that 1,000 echelon. What does the letter P stand for in the abbreviation ESP as it's associated with clairvoyance? Potency, procrastination, perception... Or prodigy. Perception, final answer. Ooh, the man's on fire. The man's on fire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. All right, so now we're up to $500, Drew. Good job moving right along. What color are the green giant's shoes on a can of corn? Brown, green, yellow, or red? Mmm try to picture that in your mind there yeah i think they might be brown but let's do a 50 50 all right taking away two possible answers you're left with green and yellow Mm. Hmm. let's go green final answer really all right going green final answer you got it you are correct Uh, i figured it was a trick Oh my gosh, you really got good? You good, because I would have I would have gone with yellow because you need to make them stand out from his body, so. <laughs> Nicely done, Drew. What's the name of Donald Duck's girlfriend for $1,000? Daisy, Darlene, Debbie, or Dina? Daisy Duck, final answer. Yeah, that's right, I think you're right. Let's go see, computer, is it Daisy Duck? Yep, yeah, you got it, Drew. All right, Drew, guess what? Mm-hmm. You're moving up now to $2,000. Uh-oh. What instrument does Sam play in the movie Casablanca? The claret? The clarinet? <laughs> the saxophone? The trumpet? Or the piano? Jeez, oh, I never actually saw Casablanca. Um, I haven't either. This is Sam. I can I can picture the movie, but I've never actually seen it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we all know the here's looking at you, kid. But I've never actually seen it. 
You still have two lifelines as well. Yeah, I'm thinking let's ask the chat room on this one. All right, chat room. Very good, let's do it. We're going to the chat room now. Please give us your answers, chat room. What instrument does Sam play in the movie Casablanca? The claret, clarinet, the saxophone, the trumpet, or the piano? Easy for me to say. All right, chat room, you now have 28 seconds. What instrument does Sam play in the movie Casablanca? The clarinet, the saxophone, the trumpet, or the piano? Let's see. I hope I hope they get this for you, Drew. Now, the computer version of the chat room is pretty split on this, so I'll tell you what it says after our chat room gets a chance to weigh in here. What instrument does Sam play in the movie Casablanca? The clarinet, the saxophone, the trumpet, or the piano? All right, so the computer chat room says it's 50% the clarinet and 45% the piano. You know, I'm inclined to go piano. Are you? It's a classic instrument that a lot of films feature. I don't really see yeah. a lot of films featuring the clarinet. It's also a bit more romantic than the clarinet. Not to be disparaging of the clarinet. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to go uh, piano, final answer. Final answer? Yeah. All right. It's bold, Drew. Let's see. That's a good. That's good reasoning, if nothing else. You are correct, sir. You got it. Yes. All right. Nice. You've locked in $1,000 easily, and now we are moving up to $4,000. How many men are on board at the start of a chess game? How many men are on the board at the start of a chess game? 24, 28, 32, or 38? Well, let's go through this. So you've got two rooks, two knights, two bishops, king and a queen. So that is going to be 8, double that to 16, and then uh, for the pawns, double that again for the other side, and you've got 32. Final answer. <laughs> All right, I like it. We got, our, we got ourselves there via math. And you are correct. Well done. All right. Well, now with that uh, $4,000 question out of the way, we are moving up to $8,000. What's the tide that flows out toward the sea call? The ebb tide, the flow tide, the high tide, or the rip tide? Ebb, t- ebb tide? Final answer? I hope you get this one right since Wes just had to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> Be real embarrassing if I didn't. Yes, you are correct. All right, moving on. Next round, we're going to have to do like Linux questions, I think, instead of general trivia. All right, for 16,000, how many minutes is a 12 round boxing match? For 16,000, how many minutes is a 12-round boxing match? 45 minutes, 46, 47, or 48? Hmm. You have one lifeline left. Yeah, let's uh, let's phone a Cheesy on this. I, I think I have a pretty good idea, but I want to hear, hear what Cheesy has to say. Oh, boy, Cheesy. Mr. Bacon, how many minutes is a 12-round boxing match? 45, 46, 47, or 48? Mr. Bacon, you have... 20 seconds. 12 round boxing boxing match, huh? Mm. 45, 46, 47, or 48? I would... S- 48? Not sure? Not sure. All right, thank you, Cheesy. We're out of time. Appreciate you. All right, so Cheesy says 48. The computer says 47. Computer's wrong. Cheesy is right. Reasoning being two-minute rounds, 12 rounds, 48. Final answer. 
Oh god, I love it. I hope you are right, because that would be incredible. Here we go. Oh gosh, computer is at 48 minutes. Oh no! Oh, is it 47? Ooh, Drew, I am sorry to say. I got to know. It is 47. It is 47. Really? I'm going to give the win to Wes since he made it a little bit further. He sure did. So we'll give it to we'll give it. So that means Tommy, you are the winner of the uh, millionaire game. Congratulations, sir. Thank you for making it live. We appreciate it. He's made it a couple of weeks in a row to the Friday stream. As a reminder, we will not have a Friday stream next week. Just a reminder, we're going to be in Texas. That's right. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to solve the world's problems next week while we're in Keller. We'll do it. We'll just have to do it off the show, I suppose, for no credit. What's the fun in that? In the meantime, check out FridayStream.com. You can go to FridayStream.com slash subscribe. Go check out the back catalog. If you don't know who the Reverend is, you need to go catch out the back catalog. You know what I'm saying? Cheesy, who's the music by this week? Uh, The music this week's coming from um, a label called New Retro Wave. The first track was by artist Judge Bitch. Um, The song was titled Trash Pandas. Super cool. Uh, The outro is Robert Parker. uh, And the name of this track is Satin Cigarette. Um, Some synthwave this week. Some throwback to the 80s, to the old computing. The old synthwave tunes. That's right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I really appreciate all of you who join us live at jblive.tv. Again, just one more time for the last time. We won't be live next Friday, but we'll be back after that. And we'd love to have you here. it really makes really makes our week. It's a nice way to cap off the week to have you here. We love giving away the video games. And we also appreciate those of you who download the show and spread the word. This is our show where we have a chance to get to know you and you get to know us. And so it's something special. It's not really going to be a huge podcast, but any love you can give it to help help grow the Friday stream. We'd appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you back here in 2 weeks. jbtitles.com let's go pick our title we heard you like fans flexing like an amazon the phone bone phenomenon <laughs> so good phone bone <laughs> those are good horn hype uh floppy flashback that's pretty good random access memories i like random access memories too oh yeah that is that's just a classic title these are really good wes you are on fire today i know dude <laughs> I'm going to run out of here in 10 minutes to go to the doctor's office. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off. Oh, you'll make it. I don't know how one becomes the premier sleep doctor, but uh, that's who I'm going to go see.